You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Oh, Lord, uh, we thank you for the godly heritage that we have of those who have gone before us. Uh, We pray that you would uh, speak uh, even now to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, that we would uh, not talk so much of uh, men and women of old, although they are very faithful, uh, that we would, like them, talk much of you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Okay, it was such a big thing last week, and everybody loved it. We had lots of people sign up. So if you really are interested in this trip, you're going to need to go ahead and call Brownell Travel and, uh, and uh, right now, the only spot left is rooming with me. Uh, I'm a very bad roommate. No, I'm kidding. There's still uh, spots left. Uh, but if you are considering it, please, there's Beth Flowers right there, straight in from France. All right, Beth waves. Everyone can see you. Beth is uh, putting the tra- uh, trip together for us at, uh, at Brownell. Uh, thank you so much, Beth. And so that's, um, that's that. Again, the dates are July. We land July the 14th. 14th. And we stay until the 22nd. Correct. Uh, it's uh, the itinerary. We begin in London, and we end up in Edinburgh. Uh, and uh, if you're interested, we might tag a little golf thing on before or after, um, because I will be doing that. Uh, so whatever it takes. I'll, I, I'm, I'm, I'm game. It's, it's about ministry. It's about ministry, so I'll do it. Uh, so last week where we left off, we, uh, we went through Cambridge uh, but we're going to talk a little bit this morning about uh, how the Reformation came to England. And we're going to work our way through Oxford up into the north of England and finally in Edinburgh where we encounter the Scottish Reformation. So one of the Take ways, if last week, sort of the hook that I had in mind was the, the verse out of 1 Timothy, which we have in our comfortable words from Thomas Cramner. Um, this saying is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that was the word... Which, through which, and I don't think this is an overstatement, through which the gospel entered England. Because in 1519, one of the first converts of the new learning, as they called it, um, the new learning, the, 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 the word that Luther was bringing into the continent, and it made its way over the English Channel onto the island. If that was the, the first way that we traced the gospel, then as in Cramner, of course, not, not happenstantially, we don't really know this, but he probably uh, would have, almost certainly would have known that was the word that converted Bilney and included that in his gospel commonplace as he brought that down to, uh, to us even today in 2017 with the, um, with the comfortable words. Staying with Cramner just for a minute as well, if you had to ask, what was it that if we're tracing the gospel through England and Scotland, Cramner would say it's the recovery of the very pure word of God. And that's a phrase that he used and put into the prefaces of his first prayer books in 1549 and 1552. This, this love for and this burning desire, in Bilney's words, as his bruised bones leapt for joy, um, in Cramner's words, uh, where he, his heart did need burn with love for God. This recovery of the very pure word of God is this love for what we would simply say, the Bible. And we take it for granted that we can just get a copy of the Bible now. But it was in these 20 or 40 years through which the first years of the English Reformation happened 
where, uh, uh, starting with Wycliffe, there's a picture of him, um, about 150, 125 years before the English Reformation, where the Bible started to come into the English-speaking language, where the Bible was translated into to English. And this is tracing the gospel through, and we'll see a slide at the very end about all the different Bible translations that happened here in these years. But if we're tracing the gospel through England and Scotland, we start with Wycliffe, um, the proto-reformer, as John Fox called him, um, the, the morning star of the Reformation. He, and then a couple years later in Czechoslovakia, Jan Hus would be the first ones, 100 years before Luther, 120 years before uh, Bilney and Cramner and Robert Barnes and many others, uh, had the same ideas about reforming the church, forming the church again around this very pure word of God. And this is John Wycliffe on the right, um, and then, as we looked at last week, um, posthumously, uh, uh, in other words, after his death, they dug him up and burned his bones as a heretic and, and threw him into the river um, in Lutterworth. But John Wycliffe would be the first one, the, English, uh, the Englishman John Wycliffe. How, how did the gospel come? And then uh, around the time of the Reformation, or a little bit closer, yeah, David? Um, what was the final heresy? Uh, do you know offhand? I mean, he, he said, th- I mean, things we'd be very familiar with in the Reformation, wanting to question clerical celibacy, transubstantiation. He said, I don't think so. That, um, wanting yeah, to the, put the, the, the Bible in the common tongue, not to, to let both the bread and the wine go to the laity. The same things that happened 150 years ago. It's remarkable that he was already identifying those as issues. What he was what the final verdict was, I'm not sure. Yeah, the basic thrust of it is he was undermining the teaching authority of the church. The church had the prerogative and the exclusive domain of teaching what the Bible had to say. To put the Bible in the hands of anybody other than qualified individuals uh, was, was not okay. And so that is primarily uh, what, it, what it was about. So there was Wycliffe. Um, other ways that the gospel came into England, this is to repeat for where we were last year, you would look at the, the intellectual heft behind what we know as the Renaissance, was the, the, the intellectual construct known as humanism, uh, and it was in this church, Great St. Mary's in Cambridge, and that's, you can hardly see him, but that's John O'Lineball, who's been here before. He'll be the other leader of the trip. We're very fortunate to have him. We'll pull on several other people that also live over there, and they'll be with us for the week. Uh, but here in this church in 1478, an important lecture was giving, given where it talked about preaching. Now, it's something we talk about a lot, too. So there's a timelessness between today and, and the Reformation where uh, the, 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 the person, the Italian who gave the lecture said, wisdom and eloquence together. And he really wanted to hold to her preacher, you need to try to be wise and sound wise, but also be eloquent. And that was this idea of the rapture of going back to the sources ad fontes and wanting to get back into Greek and Roman antiquity and really having all things beautiful and the aesthetics and really caring about um, uh, the, the presentation of things. That was a big part of, of course, the Renaissance and also humanism. So that was one part, how the gospel came over, uh, as well as what was going on in Germany. Um, that was also through Cambridge. Um, and then the last thing, was already sort of the seeds in, uh, in the English church, what's known as the English affective tradition, just an emphasis on the emotions, that found ready soil as the humanists then came over and said, yes, we already like to, uh, to, to spend a lot of time thinking about how our faith feels, 
Um, and so when we look at beautiful things and go back to things like Greek antiquity and Roman antiquity, all this came together. It was just exploded where suddenly the English uh, into the gospel found uh, good soil. We'll keep that. The seed of the gospel found good soil in England to sort of explode. Charlie, do you have a question? Yeah, humanism is not, in that sense, is not what we think of now, um, where it's more of a human-centered, everybody's got a choice to do what they want to do whenever they want to do it. If that's a way to describe humanism now, that's not quite, that's not at all what they were talking about. It was that recovery of, of, uh, of what was good and old. That's really what humanism was at the time. Um, so all that happened here. Just one example, um, I, think this is, I think this is great. You could write this today. Um, I'll read it, and then I'll say who it was. By this faith I am assured, and by this assurance I feel the remission of my sins. This, it, it, this is it. Sorry, this is in Old English. I'm having a hard time reading. This is it that maketh me bold, and this is it that comforteth me. This is it that quencheth all despair. I know, O my Lord, thy eyes look upon my faith. St. Paul saith, that we be justified by the faith in Christ and not by the deeds of the law. For if right wiseness come by the law, then Christ died in vain. I dare not lift up my eyes to heaven where the seat of judgment is. I have so much offended God. What? Shall I fall in desperation? Nay, I will call upon Christ, the light of the world, the fountain of life, the relief of all careful, and the peacemaker between God and man, and the only health and comfort of all true repentant sinners." He came into the world to save sinners and to heal them that are sick. That was Catherine Parr, the last wife of, uh, of, uh, of King Henry VIII, Queen of England at the time she wrote that in 1547. Good example of all these things coming together. A Lutheran influence, very definitely a Protestant at the time, wanting to have the faith felt. I felt in my heart the remission of sins. Um, uh, uh, we'll sort of spend a lot of time resonating through all that. Let's get to Oxford. Um, this is another picture of Trinity Hall where Bilney was converted in 1519. Um, uh, the plaque about the White Horse Inn. This is the place where in Cambridge in the late um, 15, early 1520s, several of them would meet and talk about the new ideas. Not all of them were convinced by it, by the way. And then there's the great church. You can actually go see it. If you said, where did it start? You would say Christmas Eve, Midnight Mass, as they would have called it, in 15. 25. So everything's already well underway in Germany. Robert Barnes, at the encouragement of Thomas Bilney, the same one, said, preach this sermon. And with all uh, intent and with a lot of courage, because he knew he'd probably be burned for it, and he was, uh, he preached the first, what you would call evangelical. That's just the word for gospel, euangelion. That's where we get the word, the first gospel-based or evangelical sermon in England in 1525. And it was that pulpit right there. You can actually go touch it, which, if you're like me, it's like, ooh, that feels good. Um, See, I'm also a firm believer, like, if you've gone that far, even though the signs say don't go there, I'm going there. Absolutely. I mean, I came a long way. So if, if, if you like to hustle out of historic places, I'm your man uh, before they That's grab true. hold of you. This is a picture of, of Andrew in Germany where he's going up across the ropes and he's, like, looking through a keyhole. I think this is where Luther was ordained. That's what I really thought, yeah. Um, and then a very angry German, as if there's any true. other kind, uh, came and it's and, not and all reformant. C.S. Lewis, of course, was based in Oxford. You know, there's so much to see when you're over there. You know, all the different centuries, everything from the, the, the 
the 13th century all the way to the 20th, 21st. C.S. Lewis, Maudlin College in Oxford. This is a, where he started. I remember going here in 1996, thereabouts, um, and actually brought some soil home for my mom because she's a big Anglophile. And this is Addison's Walk. Where, um, Isn't that illegal? Uh, it is, in fact. But I'll tell you that story later. So, Because um, I wanted to bring some of the old country to my mom. Uh, this is where Lewis and J.R. Tolkien and another man named Hugo Dyson had famous walks in the time of, of Lewis's conversion. And he was talking with, with Tolkien, assuming that this very bright man who had all this language knowledge, et cetera, and so forth, surely didn't believe all that stuff about the myth of Christ. Um, and when Lewis found out that he did, it started his way onto his conversion. And so we can hear a lot about C.S. Lewis. Um, this is the, the Eagle and the Child, the pub there in Oxford, not too far from the Martyrs Memorial, where, where the, the Inklings, they had an old name for themselves, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and a bunch of the others. And they would read, Lewis would read some of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe out loud. And Tolkien thought, that's way too simple. You're cheating. Because Tolkien would read some of the Lord of the Rings out loud to Lewis. And this massive construct, uh, and they would sort of critique each other. And they, they, they called the, the restaurant the bird and the babe because it's known as the eagle and the child. And so you can go sit in places where they were supposed to sit. It's very, it's a the very food's, American The food's thing actually to do. decent. But, uh, Is Mark um, Janelette here? Oh, good. I'll tell a story about Mark in a little bit. Good. So anyway, all this is in Oxford. It's a lot of fun. Uh, the Great Hall at Christ Church in Oxford with all these portraits, like 13 or 14 prime ministers. Uh, were educated in this college in Oxford. Um, that's a can't see it, but a nice portrait of Henry VIII and Elizabeth I. They were all there. Then it also more popularly known to a lot of our children as Hogwarts. And there's a picture of Hogwarts at Christmas, and it's based in the same hall, the Great Hall in Oxford. It is. So, so you'll as you go around Oxford, you'll see a lot of Harry Potter stuff. But also the thing about Christchurch is you'll see that that's where John Wesley and Charles Wesley were both ordained uh, there in Christchurch Cathedral, which is a collegiate chapel as well is the cathedral for Oxford Diocese. And then um, if you're really into it, maybe we could slide over to Pembroke Hall, which is where George Whitfield uh, was, was a graduate. So why don't you take over, Andrew, and just take us through Oxford. There's Mary Tudor, and you can go from uh, there. Where, where she go. is. Um, yeah. So uh, Mary Tudor came to the throne upon the death of uh, her young uh, half-brother, Edward VI. Uh, that was uh, July of 1553, as uh, Gill so helpfully notes. Mary... Um, she had an axe to grind, and understandably so, because whose daughter was she? Catherine, Catherine of Aragon, the first uh, wife of Henry VIII, who he basically shipped off uh, and, uh, and declared their marriage null and void. And so uh, Mary really blamed uh, Protestantism and these new ideas uh, for the dissolution of the marriage of her father and mother and she came back with a vengeance, uh, so much so that uh, Mary had a number of people, uh, I think the estimates are five to 700, four to 700, something like something that. Like that. Um, in fact, uh, one of the worst of it was down in Devon, uh, where a young pregnant woman uh, was burned at the stake, and she went into such stress. She was about nine months pregnant. She actually gave birth while the flames rose, and the baby tumbled out and rolled out of the fire, and the sheriff picked the baby up and threw it back into the flames, the youngest martyr uh, of the English Reformation. So she's uh, not to be trifled with, uh, to say the least. But I'll I say this, this is where the history gets really complicated. She married Philip of Spain, the emperor's nephew, which is not a good thing if you're English, just to solidify the Catholic part. 
She was struggling to have a male heir just like Henry did. Uh, she felt this lump in her abdomen, which she would have assumed was a baby. This is, you know, Bloody Mary. Um, uh, but I can have some sympathy for her because she felt this lump in her abdomen. It wasn't a baby. It was ovarian cancer, which she died of some months later. But obviously so, holding the rose, the Tudor rose. So, um, and I remember, I mean, things are really tenuous. You can go back and look at the War of the Roses. Henry VIII's family seized power in a very uh, deliberate and violent way. And so... Um, and in fact, one of the things I don't, that, you know, Cranmer actually was against the whole Jane Grey fiasco and, and really thought that Mary should come to the throne. And popularly, she was supported. Uh, they really wanted Mary uh, on the throne because they'd been fed for decades under Henry VIII and Cranmer this whole idea of divine right. And not just in ruling, but this is the person that God has placed uh, to rule over you for good or for ill. So... Walk us through Oxford Martyrs. You're on uh, the yeah. next, next So uh, uh, Mary through. came to the throne, and uh, many people fled to the continent, uh, but uh, many stayed, including uh, some great leaders of the church. Uh, Hugh Latimer was the great preacher of the uh, English Reformation. Uh, Nicholas Ridley was the great theologian, in fact, had a huge impact on Cranmer when it came to Cranmer's understanding of the Lord's Supper. Uh, in fact, there were accusations that, oh, you're just regurgitating Ridley when Cranmer would answer. And so uh, Latimer and Ridley, uh, they were bishops, and um, they were sentenced to execution, and they were burned here at, in Oxford. Uh, this right now is a big, broad street paved with bricks. Uh, the Take city continues on. It's a walled city. But if you look up in the upper right-hand corner, do you see that tower? That's the north gate of Oxford. And standing aboard atop that tower is who? Thomas Cranmer. Thomas Cranmer had been arrested, the North Gate, which is now St. Michael's of the North Gate. It's a church, which we'll see. And uh, Cranmer was brought up to the top of the tower to watch Ridley and Latimer burn, to say, this is what awaits you. And so Latimer and Ridley went uh, bravely to their death. And, of course, the wonderful quote uh, from Latimer to Ridley, be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man, for we shall this day light such a candle in England as I trust by God's grace shall never be put out. So, and it's true, I mean, here we are. Here we are. So, uh, it was a terrible death. Uh, it was slow. They had to um, tie gunpowder around their necks, and it was just awful. And Cranmer, who at this point, by 16th century standards, would have been considered a very elderly man, was forced to watch. There's, the, the there's the tower uh, itself. We can move. You can... See, there's the door. <laughs> Gil, you really went for it. Uh, this is the door uh, to the cell in which uh, Cranmer went in. It's the real door. Uh, just jump the rope when we're there and tell them that you're Church of England, and they'll let you go up. Okay. And not it is pay cool. Two pounds. I mean, that's the actual door, and Andrew has a splinter of it in his office. You can go. I do have a splinter of the study in Vortburg where Luther translated the Bible. Go ahead. Um, okay, is, so... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, story of Cramner, let Andrew tell it in a moment, when he goes to his death and, 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 and how they tried to really make an example out of him. A month before he died in March 1556, here in February 1556, he goes to Christ Church, again in Oxford, same place where Hogwarts is, so that just kind of locates where, where we are. But in the cathedral, Christ Church Cathedral, they go through this elaborate degradation service. It's just a they, they, it's a mock service where they dress him up as the Archbishop of Canterbury in in, a, in some cheap, or as they would say, tawdry clothes, and they go through all sorts of things in, in Latin and English, and they sort of 
divest him. Did you, ever see, Brand, did you ever see Branded? Branded scorns the man who ran. You ever see that show? Yeah, where they rip off his stripes. That, that's, that's what they did. And ironically, the very vestments that they were putting on him to represent him as the Archbishop of Canterbury were the vestments that Cranmer discarded years ago. He never would have worn them. He never would have worn them. So there's a bit of irony there. So they go through that degradation service, and they bring him here. So, at the, so back at, at Christ Church Cathedral, uh, they wore my man down. Uh, they kept him up, uh, would not let him sleep. Uh, he was not well taken care of, and he collapsed uh, figuratively. Uh, he, he gave in, and he actually signed some recantations and went back on his gospel stances. And, of course, the, one of the reasons why, the, as an aside, one of the reasons why they didn't just burn Cranmer with Latimer and Ridley, it's because he was an archbishop and only the pope could deal with that. So they had to wait for a papal legate to get uh, up to Oxford uh, to deal with Cranmer. Uh, one of the things you'll notice is Cambridge trained all the reformers and Oxford burned them. Uh, that's just the way that it worked. Uh, Oxford had always kind of been a stronghold of that stuff, uh, like Hogwarts. And so they thought, now that we have this signed document, we've really got something on our hands. So what we're going to do is we're going uh, to have him get up and preach these recantations to the congregation. He's still going to die. He's still going to die. Uh, but, but we've got this coup, and how powerful would it be to have the architect of the Reformation in England get up and say, I take it back. I take it all back. So they march him up to St. Mary the Virgin, which is the university church uh, in Oxford. Uh, both university churches are named after uh, the mother of Jesus. And they go up. There's actually a pillar um, on the left. You don't have it? It's okay if you don't. Okay, yeah, let's go back. Uh, there it is. So this is the pillar that he stood on the tree. You can see where they've cut out right that corner, and if you go back to that one, it'll show you exactly what it looked like. And, and they built it into the uh, side. That's a woodcut from Fox's Book of Martyrs. If you don't have it, you should buy it. Almost every home in England had a copy of the King James Bible and Fox's Book of Martyrs. And Cranmer got up, and uh, things uh, were going on. He was just sort of saying who he was and what was going on. And, and then all of a sudden... Everyone looked at him who was up there as an official and realized he was going back on going back. And he began to preach the gospel and pandemonium broke out. It just went totally crazy. And they hauled the old man down from the uh, platform and the eyewitnesses say that even because no matter his age, no matter what he had experienced through the degradation, the executioners had to run to keep up with him. I mean, he absolutely made his... And we'll, we'll walk the walk. I mean, we'll probably walk this whole thing. We'll walk exactly where Cranmer walked in order to get uh, to the stake. And then he was finally brought to the... You notice the, the, the architecture here, the geography, to the exact place that Latimer and Ridley were burned, uh, which would have been outside the city. There was a ditch there, much like Smithfield's, an easy way to get rid of the ashes and things like that into a ditch uh, that may or may not have had water in it. Uh, and um, he uh, held out uh, his right hand, the hand that, uh, that had signed the recantations and said, with uh, this hand hath offended, and then, uh, Lord, receive my spirit, uh, and, and he died. One biographer gives the grisly note, I thought, that uh, he held the his right hand in the fire until it turned to ash, 
only removing his left hand once to wipe his brow. Um, very specific, and that's several people saw that. So it seems to have a lot of yeah. historical value that that's actually the way it went down. Yeah, so Fox went out of his way. In fact, uh, Fox uh, corresponded with John Knox and a lot of other people because he wanted to get the history right. He wanted to record all of these stories, and so he found eyewitnesses to these events if he didn't actually witness them firsthand. So here's what say about the... Yeah, so, uh, yes. so this was built in 1843. The joke in, came in Oxford is uh, to tell tourists and uh, freshers that it's actually the steeple of an underground church and that uh, over on, next to that wall right there, there's some steps going down, and if you go down in there and go through the doors, you can see the beautiful church underneath the ground. Uh, those are the public toilets, uh, actually. So uh, don't believe anybody. But this was actually erected in 1843. If you're standing... Um, uh, if you go to the right, uh, you're going to run into the place where the martyrs were burned. This is not the exact location. It's only about 40 yards uh, from, or not even that, maybe 20 yards. Uh, but this was built actually in 1843. Now, why would it be built in 1843? It was the height of the controversy of the Oxford movement and the Tractarians, also known as the Tractarians. So there was a great movement with Keeble and Newman and uh, Pusey and others uh, who really sought to bring the Church of England back in a Roman Catholic direction. And so some leaders of the church, in fact, John Bird Sumner, who was the first evangelical Archbishop of Canterbury since Cranmer, well, that's not true. There was some during Elizabeth, but the most modern was Archbishop of Canterbury at the time, and they said, we've got to throw a gauntlet down. We've got to stake out who we are. And so they built this memorial as a reminder of not only uh, the martyrs, but the, the gospel identity uh, of the Church of England and Anglicanism over and against those who would try to turn Anglicanism into something that it's simply not. And so that's, um, uh, I hate to say it now, but if you look closely, you'll probably see somebody smoking pot uh, on, on <laughs> one of the steps uh, because that's what they do in Oxford. Uh, but so people really don't know anything about it. If you ask people, who is that? What is that? they won't be able to tell you who it is uh, because it's, it's the modern-day England, as uh, someone pointed out last week. What is, Jim. What was, there, was there any biblical basis for burning the performers? I mean, was there something? No, we'll see that. There was a legal basis for it. So Latimer and Ridley and Cranmer were all accused and were guilty of treason to the crown. Mary's crown, that, that is. And so that alone would get them... Uh, that's right. So just it's sort of what goes around comes around. And as a result of that, they knew that if they stayed, they would die. There was really no way around it. There were, the, the church at the time was not appealing to the Bible. What they were, that was the whole point of the Reformation. Is they wanted someone to show them in the Bible where it said X, Y, and Z. But... At the time, it was enough to say, no, the church teaches. The church decides. And so the teaching authority of the church um, being on equal, if not greater, standing than the Bible itself, because it's the teaching authority of the church that, that discerns and articulates what the Bible has to say. And so the big issue, the big issue uh, at the time uh, was over the nature of Holy Communion. That's what it was really about. But the implications of justification and other things 
uh, were significant and played into it. Um, so that's, that was the basis for, um, for their executions. So they were all tried as treasonous heretics. And to deepen that, Jim, um, I can't remember exactly the year. It was somewhere in the 15th century. There was a papal bull, as they called it, just a papal decree on the burning of heretics. And, I mean, it wasn't completely out of left field. It was actually intended, strange as it sounds, to be an act of grace. I mean, it was, it was intended heretics. It was to be a visual representation of what the eternal life in the flame would look like and, or in purgatory to have it burned off, purged. Um, but there was also a gracious sense that if, and this is what Thomas More's basis was for the, what they called examinations, of, uh, uh, which would be torture, if persuasion, and what I said earlier about the power to persuade, if eloquence and persuasion wasn't enough to get someone to convert back to the true faith, this would be speaking as a, a conservative, one who would want to be what we now call a Roman Catholic. If that wasn't enough, then other means to turn someone, i.e. pain, could be used. Um, and so they were, they were, at least in theory, in the concept, trying to get people to reclaim the one true confession the one true church, the one true So faith. this was a preview to the Inquisition. So, um, it was all around that, yeah, that's right, the time. So the burning of heretics was, was uh, I don't know if Jason uh, Wallace is in here. He might know the exact thing. There you are, Jason. When was that? Do you know the burning of heretics? The, anyway, so somewhere in the 15th century, not too long before. Um, Family Night on the History Channel. And I, wanna, I don't want to pile up there yeah. either. At different points of our history, the Protestants would also do the same. Um, under Mary, it did reach a particular high point, and then under Elizabeth, it stopped. Um, most of that's true. Uh, so I don't want to completely load in on that, um, but it, that's there. Yeah, Jason, you'd be a good voice here. That's right. That's true. So if the body goes to ash, then it wouldn't be able to be resurrected. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And I think, too, just the political, uh, getting rid of the people, getting rid of the argument, uh, and, and that really backfired in Scotland. But let's move. Yeah, let's, let's move forward. So there's the execution again. Oh, wait, where are we? Um, Moving forward. Sorry, going the wrong way. Um, oh, where's the execution this? site? This is what it looks like. X marks the spot. I mean, it's very humble. It's in the middle. I was there last summer, and uh, somebody on a bicycle just went over it, and then a car came, and other people are walking, and it's and it's almost exactly where it was. And yeah. you can actually see the little dip in the in the road, and it's right behind the market. So, my, see, yeah, St. Michael's at the north. Everything uh, to the left. That's where the wall was. St. Michael's at the north gate is. You see the background, um, the tower, that little tower thing. Caddy corner to it on the left-hand side, it's around the corner a bit, is where the tower would have been, Balliol College on the right. And actually, if you go up, turn right, that gray building is the Randolph Hotel. I sound like a tour guide. <laughs> and then you turn right, and actually just a, not, you know, maybe 200 yards up on the left is the Eagle and Child. So it's all right there. Yeah. Quick when he gets Scotland. Okay, uh, Durham is a beautiful city. Um, it's uh, really known. Uh, Durham Cathedral, which was built, uh, it was started in 995. They finally finished it in 1133. 
Uh, St. Cuthbert is buried there. You can name your dog after him and go look him up. He was actually pretty important. Uh, the cathedral right there, uh, ancient. Uh, the thing about it, it was not until the 19th century that this changed, but the bishops of Durham were prince bishops in a very legal sense. They actually had military authority. Uh, they had a legal standing uh, that really put them uh, in, a, in a significant way. And then in the 19th century, they realized maybe we should tweak this a little bit. So Durham is very beautiful. Uh, and uh, moving to Yorkminster, uh, the great city to the north. Uh, it was started by the Romans. Uh, 1250 is when the cathedral was built. Uh, there are two, considered two primates in uh, the Church of England, one the Archbishop of Canterbury and the other the Archbishop of York. York really was the key to the north of England. So anytime there was a war with Scotland, you had to take York. If you took York, you had the north. Uh, and so that was an important, uh, a really important city, and uh, the cathedral is uh, really pretty, and, uh, and we'll, we'll go there. Uh, oh, here we are. We're in Scotland. So um, I don't know how we don't have a lot of time. Uh, just to say, John Knox, John Knox started in Scotland, and then he fled to England. And while he was in England, uh, he sur- now when I say fled, he fled to Berwick on Tweed, which is you could spit over the Scottish border from there. But he was still in, uh, in England, uh, and then uh, also became the preacher in Newcastle, which is just pretty close to. And while he was there, uh, the crown offered him uh, the bishopric of Rochester, which is a significant bishopric. So say what you will about John Knox. He was a full-fledged pastor in the Church uh, of England and yet really felt a call to go back to his native Scotland. He went. He sort of fomented rebellion. And actually, the Roman Catholic resistance to the Reformation was even more fierce in Scotland, if you can believe it. Uh, The problem was is that in spite of all their violence, because they were always, and we'll get to the killings in a minute, they started burning people, and politically that was a huge mistake in Scotland because it began to turn the people who didn't like uh, their monks and their abbots and their preachers being burned. That and there was some sympathy with the crown from James V. Uh, and, uh, so, uh, but John Knox and some other guys took St. Andrews. Uh, this was not St. Andrews. St. Andrews really being the cultural epicenter of uh, Scotland, uh, the seat of Roman Catholic resistance to the Reformation, Uh, Knox and some others uh, took St. Andrew's Castle but realized they couldn't hold it, so they gave themselves up. Mary of Guise, the Queen Mother, uh, to Mary, Queen of Scots, uh, sentenced them because they had a French alliance. He was sentenced to the French galleys. He was a galley slave uh, aboard a ship, and so he was finally released, uh, went uh, over to the continent for a bit, was the pastor of the English-speaking congregation in Frankfurt, Calvin said, you've got to go back to Scotland, and of course he did, and St. Giles would be the church that Knox would preach in. It's its interior. It's a very pretty church. Okay, so this is where Knox is buried. Um, The words aren't important. Uh, When I went there, uh, I went all through St. Giles Cathedral. Uh, I went over to where the big crowds were. I didn't want to pay a docent, uh, and so I thought I could find his grave on my own. I couldn't find it anywhere, and so I finally asked a docent, Uh, where's Knox? And they said, spot 21. So I looked in the brochure to see where spot 21 was in the cathedral, but actually it was outside and to the left. It's parking spot number 21. 23. They paved, oh, 23, 23. They paved over Knox. Uh, So hopefully when we go, no one's parked in 23. 
uh, and, we can, uh, and we can see. So just when you think that England has gone by the wayside, they paved Knox. Um, should we, yeah, Rook, should we stop? Uh, you want to do this? Or? All you need to know, Holyrood Palace, Knox had incredible encounters with Mary. He would go Bible in hand, try to convert her. It didn't work. She was very upset because she wanted to marry a Spanish prince, Don Carlos. And Knox said, that ain't going to work, sister. Uh, long story short, um, uh, Mary had a trusted counselor who she probably was in love with named Dave Rizzio. Uh, Rizzio was murdered by Which Bal- Mary are we talking about? Mary, Queen of Scots. Yeah. Uh, Mary uh, married Bothwell. Uh, I mean, sorry, Lord Darnley killed Rizzio, and then Bothwell killed Darnley, and then Mary married Bothwell. <laughs> Not a popular move. Uh, so she realized her goose was cooked. She fled to England uh, where, uh, where she would die, uh, and the Reformation was complete uh, at that point. Really, the Reformation happened in 1560 in Scotland, which is really late if you think about it. But that's really when the, you can look historically, and the tide had turned uh, toward the Protestants, and the whole country was remade. You can look at that. That's a book by Knox. Just the last slide, and then we'll ask questions. Um, so it started, English Reformation, the Reformation in England and Scotland, the recovery of the very pure word of God, just some of the, the history of the Bible that came through England that we know so well. Um, Wycliffe's Bible in 1385, Tyndale's New Testament, 1525, which we still sometimes use. Um, it's a, a lot of the King James Version is William Tyndale's uh, words, the Coverdale Bible, the Matthew Bible, all these men. The choir will actually these, sing a Coverdale psalm at the 11 o'clock um, next service. Most of them were burned. Um, John Rogers, a.k.a. Thomas Matthew, was one of the first martyrs. Um, the Great Bible, sometimes known as Cramner's Bible because he wrote the, the, uh, the preface to it. The Geneva Bible, which is where we get versification. It's the first Bible that had like you know, John 3, but then 16, where it comes that, sometimes known as the Breaches Bible, because when it talks about Adam and Eve knew they were naked, they, they sewed together fig leaves and made breaches, is how they translated that, which is kind of funny. Um, and it got a nickname of the Breaches Bible, and then all the way up to the King James Version, that was James the, uh, the first in England, James the... No, James the first in Scotland, James the sixth in No, England. James the sixth in Scotland, Scotland James, James the first, the first in, in England. England. Um, the authorized version, taking the authority of the crown in 1611, uh, which we still so often use. All that, that's, that's, that's the reason everybody said, I'm going to die for this, was so that we could have the Bible. I mean, it's really that simple in some ways. That's what the recovery was. So, anyway, time for a question or two? Maybe not. Um, is, is that why golf started in St. Andrews? <laughs> it's a bad joke. You're forgiven. 115. Okay, y'all. Well, if you're interested in uh, seeing this all uh, firsthand and and really digging down into it, uh, give Beth Flowers a call at Brownell Travel. Her cell phone number is, just kidding. (laughs) Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.